Good morning. You know, every once in a while, uh, I get to thinking I'm kind of important. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody else here, but I do once in a while. A guy told me once, he says, think you're important? Try telling somebody else's dog what to do. Well, and, uh, you know, that pretty much pretty much did it, but I've got, uh, I've got a poem here I'd kind of like to read to you. It's called In Jesus' Eyes. You know, he's lying on a bus bench, and I thought he must be dead. So I hurried to walk by him, and he mumbled beneath his breath, Almost frozen in the morning chill, his words were not too clear. So I leaned down to hear him, and I could smell the wine and fear. He said, as I tried to move away, I felt him grab my sleeve. He pulled me close to say, I know what you think of me. You just see a drunken bum mere refuse on the street but you can't know what's in my heart if the outside's all you see in Jesus' eyes I'm something special in Jesus' eyes I have no sin because he died I am forgiven I'm white as snow in Jesus' eyes Stunned and shaken by his words, how could I, in my pursuit of fame and worldly fortune, have missed this priceless truth? I'd almost turned away from the precious throne of grace, when a lowly beggar, or so I thought, had shown me Jesus' face. I bowed my head to say a prayer that it was not too late, but when I turned back to thank the man who'd helped me find my way, oh, the bench where I'd found him was covered up with snow, and why the only tracks upon the ground were mine, I'll never know. But in Jesus' eyes, I'm something special. And in Jesus' eyes, I have no sin. Because he died, I am forgiven. I'm white as snow. In Jesus' eyes. Uh, Our text this morning is... In Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to uh, 35, uh, there's, if you want to follow along, there's Bibles and uh, seat backs, most of the chairs there. Okay. Uh, then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John calling two of his his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, 
Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? And these, indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned you, and you did not weep. For when John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your words. You've put your, you've put your spirit in this book. It says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you've given it all to us right here. I want to thank you, Father God, for all your blessings. I lift up our pastor to you. Ask you, Lord, that he can explain everything, everything in this book, line by line and precept by precept. Lord God, praise be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you, babe. Uh, My couch is more comfortable than those chairs, so. (laughs) 
that's where she's headed. So as we look at our text um, this morning, we have three different groups that are before the Lord that he's going to address. Three separate answers to three different groups. And the first one we're going to take a look at are the disciples of John. So the disciples of John are coming, and uh, they have a question for the Lord. Let's look at it. Verse uh, 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, for the Jewish minds... They understand exactly what John is asking him. They knew what was meant by the one who is to come. Scriptures, prophecies had laid out about the Messiah, the coming of Messiah. In fact, in Zechariah 9.9, Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, for behold, your king is coming to you. We, we, we read stories. There are stories that we all like to read. I don't know if you guys ever... This, may, this might be too old. You guys heard of King Arthur? Yeah? Sorry. Sometimes. I, last time I said something, everybody looked at me like I was crazy, so I, I get worried. Well, King Arthur was, was in the book called The Once and Coming King. And uh, it's, it's like an allegory of the true once and coming king. The, the promise to the... Jews of their Messiah, that there would be a king. Finally, once there will be a king who comes, who, who is worthy of the title, worthy of our affection, worthy of our worship indeed. And so in Zechariah it says, your king's coming. He's going to come to you humbly, riding on a donkey. In Psalm 118.26, singing about this event. This is what the children of Israel would say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. It's all talking about that king. The return of the king. The true king. A king like David, only greater. King like Solomon, only greater. The king that would be the last king they would ever need. So they have this promise. This Messiah. And didn't we see John earlier in Luke point to Jesus and declare Him to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There He is, this Messiah. But now you have John asking a question, are you the one? Or shall we look for another? And there's a lot of interesting things going on under the surface that we, we want to understand, we want to be able to comprehend. In Matthew eleven two, it tells us where John the Baptist is. He's in prison. He's in prison, and he is... Ultimately looking for that deliverer, that judge, the one who's going to come and finally rectify all the hassles he's had to go through in his life. There's another person in Jesus' life and ministry that felt the same way, was his mother. Maybe you remember at the wedding of Cana. Mary's there at the wedding, and, and I think she wants to be, she, wa- she wants Jesus once and for all to show everybody who he is. And for everyone to come to faith. And all those people who told all the stories about what a tramp she was, how could she possibly have got pregnant before she got married? 
She wanted vindicated. And on that day, Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, Guni, what have I to do with you? It's so easy for us to become the middle of our story. No? It's so easy for us to take that seat in the middle of the circle. You know, we we say this to our kids sometimes, right? We tell them, you know, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. But sometimes we forget. Right? Because, let's face it, and let's be honest, okay? Our hurts are real. I'm not trying to to make those hurts smaller. You, whatever hurt you have, you don't have to justify your hurt to me. If it hurt you, that qualifies. It's a hurt. Doesn't require me to justify it and say, yep, oh, no, that doesn't quite measure up to my hurt. Don't you hate when people do that? You know, you go tell them, like, Kathy finally went up to me. You know, I she'd say something hurt, and I'd say, oh, no, my back hurts more than that. Now, I can't do that no more. Uh, God give her the, the trump card. She's got it now. I don't, I'm pretty sure she doesn't want it, but she got it. But you guys know what I mean, how people will do that, right? How people will will maybe put the hurt you're feeling down and elevate their their hurt above it. And, and, you know, one of the things I love about God is He never does that. But He does remind us that we're not the middle of the story. We're not the center. And John the Baptist is struggling with that right now. Struggling with not being the middle of the story. He's in prison. You know, he doesn't know it yet, but the dude's going to cut his, cut his head off, Right? It's not a great situation. And he's been faithful to God, hasn't he? And he's been that, and he announced who he was. He, he did his job right all the way to the end. And now he's in prison. And he's, and he's rolling over in his mind some of the things that he said. Look at verse 21. It says, in that same hour, in that same hour when the disciples come, He, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues, evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed their sight. At that same moment, so you have in that moment, John, his disciples are coming, they're asking this question, and and at that same moment, and this is not, there's no coincidence in the Bible. In fact, there's really no coincidence in life. This exact moment, there's healing. Jesus is doing this incredible thing. And don't lose sight. Here's what we do when we see healing. We think, oh, cool, I want some healing. Now, what you just did was put yourself back in the middle of the story. What the healing was pronouncing, what was Jesus saying to everyone who could see? If you're broken, come to me and I will what? I'll make you whole. There's There's a bigger message going on. Than, than the lifting of our physical infirmities. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus heals. Still heals today. But that's not the point of healing. The point of healing is not solely to lift up our suffering. The point of healing is God saying, I'm the one who takes your brokenness and makes it whole. And so here's John's disciples. They're asking the question, are you the one? Should we look for another? And as they're watching, see the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers cleansed, the dead raised. It's, it's incredible to watch the, the move that Jesus and, and the message behind it. 
is so much greater than the temporary part. Right? Do you guys get that? Because eventually everybody he healed got sick again. Eventually everybody he healed died again. The message of his healing is, if you come to me, I can make you whole. And if you're in me, you never die. If you're in me, you'll live eternally. So you have this promise that God's laying out. And we see this in Luke 4.40. It says, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick or with various diseases brought them to him. He laid hands on every one of them and healed them. I like that. Jesus didn't say, nope, I don't have time for you. Nope, they brought him to him. He made it work. He had time. He put hands on him. He healed him. Again, what's the message he's trying to tell? Why the mass healing? The mass healing is to make that proclamation, you're broken. You need me. You need a Savior. But sometimes our our, our eyes are transfixed on, on our own condition, right? And we lose sight. Of the bigger picture, what's going on? We're, we're losing sight. Luke 5.15 says, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. They come, he touches them. Luke 6.17-19, we read just a couple weeks ago. He came down with them, stood on a level place, and a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, the seacoast, Tyre, Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. It's so vital that we get this idea. What, was, what did it say in their law? What it said in the law was, if you being clean touch the unclean, what happens? You become unclean. If you, being clean, reach out and, and touch the dead or try to work with the sick or try to do any of these things that Jesus is doing, that is transferred to you. And that all changes radically when Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, he touches the dead and the dead live. What's in him goes to them. What's in him, the clean the unclean become clean. And it's, it's a beautiful picture of the work of Messiah. The work of Messiah to come and to restore, to come and to pave the way of salvation so that the opportunity would be open wide to those to come to me. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come. I'll give you rest. And all we can think about is, but Lord, I came to you and my problems are still here. But God is speaking of a little bit more than just our day-to-day issue. When, when my day-to-day issue trumps what God has going on, I put myself in the middle of the circle. I'm John the Baptist. I'm Mary. I'm Jackie. I do it myself. I don't have to be one of them. And I start to look at my circumstances in it. It starts to blind my eyes from being able to see the beauty of what my Savior has done for me. Well, look at the explanation that Jesus gives to them. It says, and he answered them, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. 
Now I want you to think about John the Baptist's message. Here's, here's what you see. What, what Jesus is proclaiming to them is look at the mercy of God flowing out from me to the people. Look at it. Now think about John. Here's what John had to say in Luke 3, 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Verse 9, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Luke three seventeen, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist's question of God, or of Jesus, here is a question about timing. Hey, I pointed you out, and I believe you're the Messiah, but I'm stuck here in prison, and where's the dude who's going to come pour out his wrath? Where's the guy that's going to tear down the prison and, and wipe out the wicked? And his disciples stand, and they see Jesus, and what do they see flowing from him? Mercy. Grace, the power of, of God flowing through Jesus and touching people's lives in a totally different way than John was anticipating. And because of that, it was affecting John. He's in essence saying, you are merciful. When's the judgment? Are you the one? Or do we look for another? In the Greek, there's two words for another. Another of the same or another of a different kind. In this case, he uses the one another of the same. I think he's trying to say, is there two messiahs? Are you the messiah of peace and mercy? And then there's another who comes in judgment? John didn't know how to put the pieces together. So he asked Jesus a question. Sometimes we get disappointed because God's timing is not exactly like ours. Maybe we think, you know what, God, get them. Get those dirty, good for nothing. And God shows them grace. There's a whole book in the Bible devoted to that. You guys know the name of it? Jonah. Jonah goes to Assyria, to, to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, we, we, you know, we, we see Rakshak and Benny and... And the Veggie Tales. Veggie Tales really makes these stories so nice for kids. <laughs> but I think sometimes we think that maybe the guys in Nineveh really did just slap people with fish. <laughs> the reality is, they were much crueler. They were fond of driving stakes through, impaling a person's entire body and leaving them staked to the side of the road leading into town. They were mean, hateful, vicious people. So when God said to Jonah, go and deliver a message to the people of Nineveh, you remember what Jonah said? No, I don't want to go. I'm not going. You, you know what those people are like? And so we all know the story, right? Jonah, he, he, he says, I'll, I'll just get on a boat going the wrong way. And then there's this horrible storm, and so Jonah says, well, it's God, and, and he's trying to stop me from going the wrong way, so I'll just kill myself. Don't you think that's what he said? 
He said, throw me overboard. What do you think that means? I'm not going to Nineveh. You throw me in the water, I'll drown. That'll show God. Yeah? So they throw him in the water. Who, who got the last laugh? Sometimes I wonder if as Jonah's going over the side, that big fish jumped up and caught him out the air or not. And he's thinking, uh, this is not exactly how I saw this going. And for three days, he gets to wallow around in gastric juices. That's got to be great, right? Until he gets vomited up on the shores of Nineveh. He probably looks a little scary. Bleached about as white as you could get, right? Probably most of the hair on his entire body has been eaten away. He's got to look a little funky, right? For this has been a weird trip. And he still has a bad attitude, right? Do you remember the message he preaches? It's not a very long one. I, I preach way longer than Jonah. Jonah walks through the middle of town and says, uh, I might be wrong, is it 40 days? 40 days and judgment will come. 40 days. And he walks through town. That's it. No, plead the blood of the lamb. No, God loves you. No, God will forgive. None of that. None of it. He goes through and says, judgment, judgment, judgment. And the king in Nineveh puts on sackcloth, goes outside, kneels in ash, throws ash on his head and repents. And Jonah is so mad. If you read the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah is so mad. He's like, God didn't judge him. He, these, of all people, these people deserve it more than anybody else. And God forgave him. And the story ends with Jonah mad at God. That's not a new story, guys. It's probably been repeated in our life. We just change the players, don't we? It's just somebody different. But it's the same kind of story. John the Baptist, his big question is, is about the mercy of God. Well, God, what's going on with your mercy? I want some of that judgment. Now, we don't want it for us, right? Does any of us in our prayers go, Lord God, please judge me now? If you do, there's something. You don't understand the judgment of God. You might want to pray differently. Here's what the Word of God had to say about the coming of Messiah. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. It says that the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For water breaks in the wilderness and streams in the desert. It's times of refreshing. A time of refreshing coming. The hands of Messiah. Isaiah 42, 7 and 9. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Uh, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other. Nor my praise to carved idols. Behold... Former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you, the Lord God will visit His people, lift their misery, show them that He can heal their brokenness. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, we see Jesus read this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, most of you know Jesus stopped there, right? The next part says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort those who mourn. See, Scripture laid out that there is a judgment day. There will be that moment when when God comes in justice. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be perfect harmony. There will all these things are coming. But our God is long suffering, patient, kind, and merciful. And so he waits. He waits to give opportunity for repentance. I, for one, am thankful. He waited long enough for me. I hope he'll wait long enough for you. But because God hasn't come, doesn't mean it's not happening. A lot of people have thought that before, too. The judgment of God is evidenced throughout the Old Testament for us. In fact, we we see it drawn. A lot of times we point to it and we say, Oh my gosh, I can't believe God would do such a thing. Well, that's the point. Ladies and gentlemen, the point of looking at those stories in the Old Testament, we say, Wow, God wiped out everyone. Why would He wipe out everyone? That's what the judgment of God looks like. So next time you're praying the judgment of God on a people group, keep in mind how that looks. Jonah didn't understand it, but God said to Jonah... Jonah, don't you know there are more than 10,000 little children down there? You want me to wipe them all out? There's more than 10,000 who don't even know their right hand from their left. You want me to wipe them all out? It's God's grace and mercy that he withholds judgment and provides opportunity for man to repent, to turn, to change. Jonah didn't grasp it, but hopefully we do. The day of vengeance will come. Isaiah 29, 19 says, The meek will obtain fresh joy in the Lord. The poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. What do we see? Who was happy when Jesus came was a sinner, was the poor, was the tax collector, was the outcast, was the people that everyone else would recognize, everyone would recognize, and say, All those people are broken. Everyone would look at him and say, look, those people are broken. Those people are a mess. Look what's going on. And what we want to recognize, what we want to understand is as you look at that, we need to learn to see with a mirror and not a flashlight. It's not their brokenness. That's why the scribes and the Pharisees had such a hard time. The scribes and the Pharisees would look at it and they'd say, well, yeah, they're broken, but not me. Sure, they need healed, but not me. Uh, I, I walk worthy before God. But the Word of God would declare that there are none worthy, doesn't it? Doesn't the Word of God declare that our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. That's not enough to get by. That's not it. His declaration is that we are all broken and in need of a Savior. We're all in need of repentance. We all need to come to Him and receive forgiveness. We all need it. But sometimes we're blinded and we find ourselves maybe in the middle of the story here just like John. John's looking for judgment. But the judgment's not going to come yet. Mercy now. 
those same people that John is praying for judgment over will receive judgment in about 35 years. In about 35 years, the Roman legions will descend upon Jerusalem, surround it, starve the people, and slaughter them all. Somehow, I don't think that's what John had in mind when he was thinking about judgment. Judgment Day is, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Which of us can stand before a holy God? Apart from Him, apart from having the right relationship with Him, none of us can. So look at what Jesus says next. He says to them, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So John the Baptist Disciples will go back. Blessed is the one who's not offended. Schismata. Blessed is the one who is not divided because of me. Blessed is the one who will stay the course even if they think God has let them down. Even if when we put ourselves in the middle of the story, we think we got a raw deal. The good news, God thinks your hurts are real. The good news, God thinks your hurts matter. And he knows about all your tossings. Every time you couldn't sleep at night and you flopped around in bed. He knows them all. And he said, I have all your tears. Every tear you ever cried, God says, I have them. You know anybody else who cares that much about your suffering? God does. And what gives me hope is what God declared, Jesus declares in the book of Revelation, as you are seeing the the restoration of the world as God uh, would have it be, perfected, new heaven, new earth. You know what Jesus is saying in that moment? He says, see, I make all things new. I love that. See, what he's saying to me is, one day, Jackie, I'm going to take all those hurts And I'm going to fix them. I don't know how God does it. That's God's job. I don't have to know how he does it. I just know he does it. New heaven. New earth. New creation. And he says, I'm going to take them all. I have that promise in a relationship with him. If I don't have a relationship with him, I don't have that promise. How many of you know that the devil comes to you to make your life worse? Okay, so and by devil, I don't necessarily mean... The devil himself, he's probably busy somewhere else. But he's got other guys, right? The idea is there's, there are evil spirits, evil forces that are, at, that are at play. And here's how I know that I'm listening to the voice of the devil. My situation keeps getting worse. Does my situation get worse when I get mad at God? Or does my situation get better? When I get bitter at God and frustrated at God and I think, man, I can't believe it. So, well, you know what? Just forget it then. I'm not going to believe no more. I'm just going to live how I want to live. Well, you tell me, did it just get better or worse? What promise did I just lay away? What what I just throw in the trash? The promise that says, see, I make all things new. Jackie, just come with me. Come with me. There will be a day. Oh, if I can't have my day now, well, what do you call that? Well, when it's my children, I call it a spoiled brat. When it's me, I want to justify it. But in reality, it's no different, is it? 
It's no different. This was John's struggle. Now, Jesus is going to turn his attention to the multitudes and talk about John. He says, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds. He said, what did you go to the wilderness to see? Hey, why did you guys all go out to see John? Did you just want to see a reed blowing in the wind? Now, while he's saying that, I just want you to know they're at the Sea of Galilee and there's lots of reeds everywhere. So you don't got to go to the desert to see him. That's the point. Did you go out to the desert to see a, a reed shaken by the wind? Well, what then? Did you go out in the desert to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Do you go to see a guy all dressed up pretty and nice? He says, for behold, those kind who wear splendid clothing live in luxury or in king's courts. You wouldn't have gone out to the wilderness to see him. What did you go to the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yea, and more than a prophet. More than a prophet, Jesus said, I tell you. What did you go to see? Think about what all their forefathers had ever done. What was the point of the prophet? The prophet is someone who will tell you the truth about what God says. Yeah, people don't like that. Do you know that? Well, we're busy trying to rip out big sections of the Bible and throw it away because we don't like what it says. I don't like that. So what did they do? We think this is new. What did they do to the prophets in the Old Testament? They killed them. How come? They didn't like their message. What has changed in 2,000 years? Not much. Jesus said, you went out there to see a prophet. And I'm going to tell you more than that. More than a prophet, John the Baptist. I want to tell you there's more than that going on. The question I think that Jesus is getting to is this. Are you interested in the truth? You went out there to see a prophet. Are you interested in the truth or no? Do you want to know the truth? Because a lot of us struggle with it. I don't know if I want to know the truth. Well, it's the truth that sets you free. Yeah? That's what the Lord declared. The last thing that Pilate said to Jesus, he's standing there to Jesus and, and he says to him, veritas. What is truth? Standing before the truth himself, he turned around and walked away. Wonder if he'd have stayed, what Jesus would have said next. What is truth? Do you want to know the truth? Verse 27, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you, he's more than a prophet. He's a forerunner of Messiah. He's the forerunner of Messiah. He's quoting Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, said the Lord of hosts. I will send my... So Jesus says, my, the messenger of Messiah, that's who John was. More than just a prophet. More than just a prophet. And then he says, look at verse 28. He compares John to future believers. He says, I tell you that among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. <sighs> what? We get ourselves all mind-melded over stuff like this. He's greater. How's he greater? Is he greater in ministry? I don't think so. Is he greater in power? Probably not. 
Is he greater in, in morally? I doubt it. Well, in what way will the, will the least in the kingdom of heaven be greater than John? He'll know more. Because more will be revealed. John didn't have the whole picture, did he? He had his eyes focused on judgment and he didn't understand the mercy of God. But those in the kingdom will understand grace. The grace of God that comes before that comes before his judgment. Greater revelation. Ah, John didn't have that, but I think believers will. But then now look, he's going to look at the third group. He looks at the third group, the rebuke to the Pharisees. Verse 29, so when all the people heard this and the tax collectors, they declared God just, having been baptized by the baptism of John. So all the people, all the common people who heard Jesus gladly, they heard him and they said, yeah, you're right. You're right. And they're, they're ready to submit themselves to Him and to the Lord. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having not been baptized by Him. Not baptized by John the Baptist, which was a baptism of what? Repentance, right? Repent, repent, repent. And know what John said? Repent, repent, repent. Here's an important thing for you guys to be able to understand in the next several verses. The book of Proverbs is a tale of two roads. Jesus himself told us there were two paths we can go by. The two roads are the way of life and the way of death. One road leads to life, the narrow way, a broad way that leads to destruction. book of Proverbs is all about that, and it tells you who's on which road. The fool is on the road of destruction. Oh, the Bible calls me a fool. He's trying to make me mad. No, the Bible don't call you a fool. It just tells you what a fool is. A fool is someone who has said in their heart, there is no God. If that's you, I'm sorry. However, why did the Bible tell you that? Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to hear the truth? Well, there's the truth. Now, why am I told that truth? Oh, just so God can squash you with his judgment? No, why does God tell us the truth? So we can do what? Repent. So if I'm on the wrong road, I'm on the road to destruction, I'm headed to go off the edge of a cliff, and God says to me, hey, dude, you're going off a cliff. You're on the wrong way. You're on the path of a fool. Then all I got to do is change my direction. That's what repent means. So I change my direction, and I walk the road of life. That's what, Proverbs is full of these stories. Full of the concept. Hey, don't be a fool. Be wise. Don't be a sluggard. Lazy. Be diligent. It's all about road. What road are you walking? So the common people who heard John and were baptized by him recognized, they heard, we're on the wrong road. We need to change our direction. So they repented and they followed in a baptism of repentance looking, okay, God, what do you have for us? Because I've been on the wrong road. But the Pharisees, they're pretty sure that, that they're good, right? Man, well, everything we do is right and it's all good, so we don't need none of that repentance stuff. There's still people today who, who actually think that way. Uh, I don't need that repentance stuff. So when, so when the message comes, hey, you're on the wrong road, what do they do? Continue down the path of destruction. Isn't that what the verse just said? They had rejected the way of God. 
Jesus said, there's a narrow way, few there are who find it. There's a broad way, a lot of people find that one. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. Deuteronomy, the children of Israel are standing before Almighty God, two mountains, priests on both mountains, one mountain shouting curse, the other mountain shouting blessings, and God says to the people, okay, I brought you to the valley of decision. Today, you get to choose where you're going to go. I've shown you this is a way of blessing, this is a way of cursing. Here's all I'm asking you to do. Choose life. God is not in heaven saying, I can't hardly wait to to judge this world. I can hardly wait to just wipe it all out. That's not the heart of God. God has spent the last several thousand years shouting from the heavens, repent and believe. Repent. But the Pharisees didn't hear it. The Pharisees wouldn't listen. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 25 This is wisdom. Lady Wisdom is speaking, which is a personification of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 1.25 Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel, despised all of my reproof or correction. Therefore, they will eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Put yourself in the middle of the story. He's talking about the end of the road. He says, you stay on this road, it leads to destruction. And I'm not going to, if you go flopping off the cliff, you call on my name, but I'm not going to save you that day. Too late. Because you wouldn't heed instruction. You wouldn't listen to my voice as I've been calling to you while you walk down the road. Change your direction. Change your direction. Change your direction. You don't listen. You just keep walking. Until you go off the edge. Heed Lady Wisdom. Because she's calling you to walk the path of life. But the Pharisees would not. They acted like disappointed children. Look at it. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. He's probably sitting there near the marketplace, and they can see the kids playing. So when kids would play in the marketplace, there's lots of games they would play, but a couple of the games they would play would be pretending like they were doing a funeral or pretending like they were doing a wedding. And so he says, look, you're like these children who are upset. They're playing the flute, but I won't dance, or they're they're singing the dirge, but but I won't weep. Listen, he's going to continue the thought. For John the Baptist came eating no bread or drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. He was playing the funeral. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's playing the wedding. But no matter which one, they didn't want either. They didn't want the one who came as an ascetic, 
calling the people to repent, John the Baptist. They didn't want the one coming to give forgiveness in Jesus Christ and celebrate a a reunion of a relationship with God Almighty, like a wedding. They wouldn't listen, they wouldn't heed. They're like spoiled children who didn't get their way. This is not how I see things coming down. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's all supposed to work. But what it says, guys, is that they lacked wisdom. For wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom is justified by all her children. What's that mean? The children of wisdom hear mother wisdom. They hear her instruction and they follow her. The children of God hear his instruction and they follow him. To as many as believed in his name, to them gave he the power to be called the children of God. Lady Wisdom, all through Proverbs, never stops calling out. But only her children will listen. Jesus never stops calling. Reaching out, the day of salvation is here. Now is the day. Now is the time. All we need to do is turn and live. The Pharisees have just as many opportunities as anybody else. They don't need a Savior. They're good people. They've got it all together. The children of wisdom will hear her voice, hear her instruction, and change their way. The only question for us this morning is, which are you? Can you hear Lady Wisdom call? Listen, Colossians chapter 2, last verse. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. This is Paul. And for all those at Laodicea. You guys know where Laodicea? That should remind you of something, right? Laodicea? Church in Revelation? Lukewarm? You remember? Yeah, that's the bad one. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts would be encouraged and knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything we need. Send Jesus. The call has gone out. God's just waiting for us to respond. Don't let yourself be the center of the story. I know the hurt is real. I'm not trying to play that down. Look to God for comfort and peace and know that we're living for the end of the road, not the middle of the road. We endure the middle of the road for the end of the road. And the end of the road is this. See. I make all things new. It is worth it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can come before you, Lord. We can turn our eyes towards you. God, I pray that we would be able to understand, see ourselves in these stories, God, I've, I've been disappointed like John the Baptist. I've struggled with, with what I thought God should do in a certain situation. And, 
and what he didn't do. But God, I pray that I would realize it when Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I don't want to be offended because of you, God. I I know your ways are higher than mine. I know that you know more than I know, and, and I know I can trust you. And sometimes I know I'm like Jonah, and sometimes I know I'm like the Pharisees, and sometimes I'm like all these guys at the same time. But the part that we need to just be so focused on, God, I just pray that always, always, always I will listen to Lady Wisdom's call. Hey, Jackie, you're getting off track. Oh, yeah, I am. And so I come to you and I confess my sins and you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I get back on the road I need to be on. And I don't worry about everything else. I just worry about, am I listening to Lady Wisdom? Do I hear the voice of my Savior call? God, I'd like to be delivered from my hurts and pains, my sickness, my struggles. I'd like to see deliverance and miracles in my life. But the greatest miracle you've ever shown me is my life transformed. Because I know who I was. And I'm not that guy today. God, help me to leave you in the middle of the story. For all of history is His story. It is the story of how God saves men. And maybe we're in the middle and maybe we're at the end. All I know is I want to keep my eyes on the prize. I want to keep my eyes focused on You, Lord. Follow You. The road of life. Not caught up in thinking I don't need You. Not not having a difficult comprehension of my own personal brokenness but knowing every day moment by moment i got to come to you confess my brokenness and be made whole in you that your spirit anoints me to go and do the things that you're asking me to do that you haven't left me weak you've given everything that i need for the road that's laid out before me whether that road includes sickness illness whether that road includes death or sorrow or suffering god you've given me everything i need when you gave me your spirit god help me hold on to that which you've given me and walk the road until i see you face to face and on that day i will not be disappointed for i live my life not being offended I live my life trusting you. God, go before us and make us men and women who will trust you. Who know who you are. Who have this anchor that keeps us on the path of life. And we Lord God, we'll give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.